You're listening to the Rick Soto Podcast. For more information about Pastor Rick Soto and the Ranch Church, go to ranchchurch.com. This message that we're going to be talking about today is going to be called Spiritual Secrets. We're going to sort of close out the rest of the chapter for this moment as we talk about spiritual secrets. There are spiritual secrets in the scriptures. They're actually really laid out in plain sight, so it's kind of fascinating to use that kind of language, but you, you definitely need to have crossed over into salvation and have the Holy Spirit illuminating these things in order to grab hold and internalize them. So Paul will start out here now in verse 2, and he will say, We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith, labor of love, and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. So pray with me. Lord Jesus, we come now. I pray, God, that you would show us your glory. I pray now, God, that you would visit us. I pray, God, that your word would would be like a plumb line just going deep inside us. So speak to us now, God, for we we need you, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen? Amen, amen. Okay, as we talk about spiritual secrets, let's talk about what it means, what it means to know God, actually, because as Paul is laying this out, he's talking about something that we should have a conversation about to start, and that is that you and I can know God. Christians have a very outlandish claim, sometimes criticized for it. We claim to actually know God. We claim that we can actually know, hear from God, that we can understand his mind, that we can know what's on his heart. We are making that claim because God has made that claim for us. By way of Bible reference, 1 John chapter 4, verse 16 says, Whoever abides in his love abides in God and God abides in him. So there's the idea of abiding in love and abiding in God and God abiding in him. So when we talk about what it means to know God, I have a phrase that I want you to write down. I have a phrase that I want you to embrace that God desires to have all of you so you can have all of him. And I want you to receive that. He, he, wants, he wants to have all of you. And really what our, what, our, what our maturing challenges are is the releasing of a full surrender to God. Of, of, of our bodies, of our souls, of our spirits, of our minds, of releasing a full surrender to God so that we can have all of him. God desires to have all of you, church, so that you can have all of him. Now listen, the implications of this is profound. Implications of this is profound. In fact, I'm starting that way on purpose because if I tell you the implications, you're going to think in the wrong order. And, and you, want it, you want to get first things first. You want to know God. You want to know that the Christ has taken away your sins. The cross has been applied to your life, that you're in a personal relationship with God. And so, and so in light of that, as God has all of you, you're actually abiding in his love, his love's abiding in you, and you're abiding in him. Okay, so here's the implication. There was a guy a long time ago, in the 1500s, his name was John Knox. I'm not even going to take a show of hands if you ever heard of this guy. Many people haven't. But if you know your church history, you've had a firebrand of a Scottish preacher. I mean, this guy was a firebrand of a Scottish preacher. Then there was a, there was a politician. 
Her name was Mary, Queen of Scots. Now, you might, you might have heard that person historically, or maybe you've just heard the name, and if I told you, hey, tell me something about Mary, Queen of Scots, you might simply say, well, I don't know, Pastor. Her name was Mary. She was a queen, and she's from Scotland. Okay, that's good, but you might not know much about the drama. We don't need to get into all of that political drama other than to say that as a pastor and an evangelist, John Knox was rebuking her and and an evil political system for what it was doing to people. So that's that's fascinating in its implications. And so Mary Queen of Scots is trying to get away from, trying to to do away with John Knox, but she couldn't, she couldn't, it just wasn't working out. So she has a quote, she has a quote that applies to this. Remember I told you that God desires to have all of you so that you can have all of him. That he wants you to abide in his love so his love will abide in you. And I'm telling you that there's implications for that, but sometimes we talk about the implications so quickly and we get kind of jazzed about it. We don't get first things first. Here's first things first. Those things come first. So now John Knox is rebuking as a guy with no rights. When you're the queen, you haven't given the peasants rights. He didn't have any political rights. He didn't have political right of redress. He doesn't have an army, or maybe he does. It's called the army of God. And he has the word of God. And so she's so frustrated by John Knox, the evangelist. So frustrated by John Knox, the preacher. So frustrated that John Knox is abiding in God's love that she finally stands up and she says, you know what I think about John Knox's to her court? I fear his prayers more than all the armies of Europe coming against me. You see that, church? That's why I'm talking about getting first things first. I could give you that quote and so many others that are true and true and true, and you're going to miss it. The jazz is going to grab you a certain way. No, you've got to know God. God desires to have all of you so you can have all of him. You abide in that love. Soak in that love. Soak in God and let God's love abide in you. And it actually is transformational as to your authority and prayer life. So that someone who in the earthly terms, Mary Queen of Scots, should just be able to snuff John Knox out. She goes, no, that guy, his prayers terrify me more than all the armies of Europe. So let's go to verse two. We give thanks to God the Father for all of you. So there is a difference. When we talk about spiritual secrets, There is a difference, church, here first off, between thanking God and being thankful. Now, I want you to go with me here. Give thanks generally. Uh, Somebody somebody did something nice for me a couple of days ago. I said thanks. And somebody actually said some really nice complimentary things to me a couple of weeks ago. And I said, that's very kind of you. Thank you. And you have the same thing in your life. Somebody do something nice for you. I pray. (laughs) I pray somebody says something nice to you. Like they're actually verbally saying nice things, and that's great. I pray that that comes your way, and you should generally just give thanks. But in terms of spiritual secrets, I'm here to tell you, spiritual secrets of power, of transformation, that there's a difference between thanking God and actually being thankful. One is good, and the other will change your life. One is good, and the other will change the direction of your life. Thanking God. See, Paul comes here. This church was born 
uh, with tremendous persecution around him. You read the book of Acts, and he says, we give thanks to who, church? Who in your Bible it says, we give thanks to? God. I'm not just giving thanks. I'm actually going to say, I thank God for you. I thank God for you. He's saying this to these people in Thessalonica, in ancient Greece, who were so bold and brave, constantly mentioning you in my prayers. So when you thank God specifically, so when the difference is that what I, what I, I didn't do anything wrong, I thanked that person, but it was actually a couple of days when I walked away and I thought about that person who said something nice to me, and I finally said, Lord Jesus, I thank you that you sent someone to encourage me. So when you thank God in that way, guess what? The laser of the Holy Spirit and the love of God just answers your heart and soul in such deeper and deeper and deeper measures because you're thanking God. And there is a difference. Always say thanks, but there's a difference between specifically thanking God. I'm going to give you two illustrations right here. By way of reference in Matthew chapter 11, verse 25. So Jesus is going to say before some famous words of his, these words are, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden. That's fantastic. Jesus is saying, are you weary? Come to me. Do you have the burdens of life and finances and health and relationships and family matters on your shoulders? Are those things wearing you down, church? He says, well, come to me. So before that, before that, Jesus activating that spiritual power is going to say, I thank you, Father. So he's going to thank God. He's going to say, I thank you, Father. And what he's doing is he's clarifying that the spiritual truth is going to come to God's people. And so he thanks God. And then he says, listen, in the words that I just told you, are you weary? Come to me. Are you heavy laden? Come to me. And you will find, Jesus says, rest for your souls. More in an illustration that's maybe a little easier and quicker to understand is John chapter 11, verse 41. So this is fascinating because it's Lazarus being resurrected from the dead. So Lazarus is dead, been in the tomb. You can read it in chapter 11. Kind of familiar story to church and Christians who study this. He's dead, dead, totally dead. And Jesus is delayed in order to teach a lesson. And so before he comes on the scene, as he's getting there, what he's going to say is, I thank you, Father. I thank you, God. I thank you, God. And he's going to say that you have kept certain things from some people. You've revealed some things to others. And now you're going to do it. And so he's actually thanking God. Church, I want you to see this difference. He's actually thanking God in the same way that Paul says here, we give thanks to God always for all of you. So Jesus in John chapter 11, verse 41 says, I thank you, Father. And then he calls Lazarus forth. In fact, there's so much spiritual power to this moment. He actually has to say the word Lazarus. There's a lot of commentators are correct when they say, you know, if Jesus had just said, hey, rise from the dead, everybody dead might have been resurrected. That would have been something. A lot of bills to pay right then. But he says, uh, Lazarus, come forth, and he rises from the dead. So spiritual secret here that I want you to get, there's a difference between thanking God and being thankful. Let's talk about kingdom tools. Let's talk about kingdom tools here in verse 3. So we give thanks to you, God, always for all of you, constantly mentioning in our prayers, 
Remember before our God and Father, your work of faith, labor and love and steadfastness and hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's verse three. So Paul will continue with something that's more famously known in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, where he's gonna talk about faith and about hope and he's gonna be talking about love. And so these are kingdom tools as I'm outlining them for you, for you to understand. And I'm gonna show you how they work here in terms of spiritual power. So faith is truth. You have to embrace that. Faith is not a guessing game. Faith is not, you know, you know, geez, I, I hope certain things would be true. We have faith in the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ because it's true. And we have faith that we can be saved because it's true. And we have faith that we can abide and operate in the power of the Holy Spirit because it's true. We gather together to worship God because we know God is real and that's true. We pray to Lord Jesus Christ directly by faith because we know it's true. You understand that? Faith and truth are married. And so faith actually drives that truth. Hope of the faith, hope, and love uh, paradigm Hope actually monitors mood and daily happiness. And that's probably where you have some serious emotional challenges because it gets challenged. So hope is going to monitor your mood. If you're actually very hopeful, you're going to actually have a monitor regulator inside your heart and soul. So here's one. I'm going to heaven. Who's coming with me? Okay, so don't worry about nothing. <laughs> That's the application of that one. Uh, we have to be responsible and we want to be obedient and we want to be a blessing to other people. And I'm not saying that there aren't moments of weaknesses. I have them as well. But I'm going to heaven. Who's coming with me? All of you? Praise the Lord. Then that begins to monitor the mood of many of the challenges that you have. That monitors the mood as you're walking through the valleys of life. That actually affects your happiness. I know that my God has told me that I'm getting a new body in heaven. Hallelujah. <laughs> he tells me it's going to be good and nice and perfect. And so I'm looking forward to that. That is fantastic. Hope, church, I want to press into this. It's actually one of your issues. It's one of the things that can tend to take you down when you don't have it. It's a mood regulator as a power gift from God to help bring happiness daily to you. Faith is truth. Hope is, hope is that regulator of mood. Love, love creates passion. Love creates real passion. When you love what you do, you're passionate about it. When you love life, you're passionate about it. When you love the people that you're with, you're passionate about it. And sometimes that starts by liking the people you're with. You know, I know that. Maybe you don't love everybody at one time. You go, I, you know, do I love you? Maybe I just like you today. It's okay. Love, love has to be nurtured. And it must be nurtured. And you have to work through issues. But love ultimately creates passion. Like, I love this church. I do. I love the Lord. And it's such a pleasure to be a pastor and be your pastor and to preach the word. It's just a joy to be able to, to be with you and to do this. That creates a passion. It creates a passion that gives us dreams of a church going places and doing things, you know, blessing the community and all of us together playing a role in that way. It creates a passion. Love creates a passion. 
Now listen, it should say about, about these kingdom tools, they come together. And what you have to understand is that God is often playful with them. You know, I mean, so I'm going to give you a couple of illustrations out of, out of Joshua to help you understand these kingdom tools, which are outlined here in this text in Thessalonians. You know, Paul will say here specifically related to them, your work of faith, your labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. So these, these are how they come together. In Joshua chapter 5, it's now time for Joshua and all the Israelites to cross the Jordan. They're actually in the modern nation of Jordan proper. They can see actually the town of Jericho. There's the Jordan River there. A couple million people going to cross over. And so, so this is the Lord. This is really interesting. In Joshua chapter 5, Joshua is this military general. He's trying to find out whose side, who's on in a sense. And so he sees this man with a sword drawn and he's quite an ominous figure. And so he goes up to him, which is really pretty bold. And he says, hey, whose side you on? Because I'm on the Lord's side. Whose side you on? And so he doesn't know that he's talking to what we call a pre-incarnate version of Jesus. And so he's literally there. Uh, and so, so here's what the Lord says. Joshua says, Whose side are you on? And the Lord says, no. I don't play by your rules. It's not whose side am I on? Whose side are you on? And so he says to him, he says, no, I am the commander of the Lord's army. Now I have come. Now I have come. And he needed faith, hope, and love to receive it, and things would be different. Then in Joshua chapter 6, they cross over the Jordan. They're coming into the town of Jericho proper. And here's what the Lord says. He says, hey, Joshua, here's what I want you to do. I mean, I could do this a bunch of different ways. I suppose I could have you wave your hand and the walls would come down right now. And, and I suppose that I could have you throw some water at it and the walls would come down right now. But I'm going to show you something because I'm the Lord and I have fun. And so you're going to actually walk around that and just, just play some music, just worship and all of that and dance. And, it, and what you would think would happen in an ancient fortress is that they should be throwing stones on them and that kind of thing. The Lord puts such a fear that they're just looking at the Israelites and literally I, I would have to be like really silly animated to show you what it would be like, but they are actually kind of just being dancing, going around this walled city, playing music and all of that kind of stuff. And then Lord says, okay, that's good one time. And they do that for seven days. And on the seventh day, they're going to do it seven times. And then see the Lord is restoring, was creating in them faith. And he's creating in them hope and he's creating in them love. Because the first day, just think about it. They're going to cross the Jordan. Okay, that's really cool. But we saw that with Moses. That's great. And so then the Lord's going to say, yeah, but I want you to shout at the city. Okay, day one, I want you to shout at the city. It'd be sometimes in church when we say, everybody say amen, and people go, amen. <laughs> right? Like, okay, well, yeah, so that's not going to move mountains, right? <laughs> and so then the Lord says, okay, we'll walk around at one time. Walk around one time, and they should have all been taken out. They're not taken out. They go, wow, that's pretty cool. Like, I mean, like we were like what, marching band, jamming, all of that kind of stuff. And like they were too afraid of us. Like we don't really even have weapons and they were so afraid of us. Maybe the Lord's on the move. You know, that's what they say. So then the Lord says, do it a second day. As you know the story, they go to seven days. Now all of a sudden they have faith. 
But it's not like, man. Like, it's like a shouting, visceral, we are believing, believing faith, and they have hope, and they have love in their hearts for God. Our God has done it all. So when they go around that seven times in one day, he says, now you shout. He didn't need to say it twice. They're all in. And they just all shout a couple million people together, and those walls come tumbling down. These are kingdom tools, and you put them to use. This faith and this hope and this love. Verse 4, as we continue on in our study. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you. Church, everybody say the word chosen. chosen. He has chosen you because our gospel came to you, not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. So next spiritual secret, as I, as I mentioned, the difference between being thanking God and being thankful, letting you know that there's a spiritual secret of these kingdom tools of faith, hope, and love. There's also a spiritual secret related to the difference between conviction and commitment. And you got to go there with me here to understand there's a difference between conviction and commitment. So listen, just enjoying the moment with you, just write down conviction is more better. Okay, conviction is more better. That's what you want to know. I chose God is how some people say it. They mean it well, they do. That's a version of commitment. God chose you. That's conviction. I realize to your humanity, you, you're going to respond because that's your faith and that's your hope and that's your love. You have to personalize it and you have to internalize it. But do not be immature in the faith as you get to the word of God. God knew you before the foundation of the world. He created you. He designed you for a purpose and he's calling you to himself. He chose you. And then you had a chance by faith to choose him. He chose you. And commitment says, I chose God. 1 John chapter 4, verse 19, by way of reference, says, we love because he first loved us. And this word chosen is the idea. I love this word. It's really interesting. It's really out of ag world. And it's the idea of picking. You know, so if you're in the ag experience and you're going to pick some fruit, or you're going to pick something, so it's the idea of picking and setting out, and I put it over here in a different place because it has a different purpose than when it belonged over there. And I might pick something that something thinks is bad or not useful or not, I'll pick it and I'm going to take it. I'm going to bring it over here where it will actually have a divine purpose. That's you. He chose you. Just actually why he's reminding the Thessalonians of that. He chose you. It's, Christianity is not about a commitment. Christ has chosen you, and therefore you have a conviction inside you based on faith, hope, and love, and truth that you are actually God's, and you have all of God, and he has all of you. Conviction breeds authenticity and victory. So if it's a commitment, what's going to happen is you're actually ultimately going to become a poser. How are you doing? You doing good today? No, you're not going to be truthful. Not going to be transparent. I'm fine. Oh, you don't look like you're fine. You know, look like you're kind of shaky over there. Might be crying. You got those eyes right there. What's going on with you? Oh, no, I'm fine. I'm fine. Well, brother, sister, I can pray for you right now. No, I'm good. I can have the church pray for you. Never, never tell the church my problems. Conviction breeds authenticity. How are you doing? 
I'm not doing well, then get over here. <laughs> what can we do? Okay, don't even talk. I'll just do it. We'll just bless you, right? I was somebody at church last week, right? Actually, two or three of them. It's like, okay, we know how to bless you. We're just going to do it. Boom, you're just blessed. We got you. So conviction breeds out authenticity and that victory. Commitment breeds striving and defeat. Paul will say, related to this, you know what kind of men we prove to be for your sake is his way of talking about authenticity. He says, you know there's charlatans, there's phony people out there. You know that when we came, we came as authentic followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, not trying to impress you, seeking to worship and serve and glorify him. And we wanted to bless you by bringing you this word, which you act actively received. Verse six and eight. Scripture is going to say, and you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word of truth in much affliction. So this church actually received the word in a lot of persecution, but look at what it came with, with joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. That is actually the areas surrounding Greece, Macedon's in the north, Achaia in the middle of the country, middle of the continent. Spiritual secret. Here's our next one. Now, I'm just going to say it to you this way. Some are fools. Don't be one. I got to see. Spiritual secret. You know what? Some people and some culture, like subgroups, they are actually fools. Don't be one. Some people are checked out. Don't listen to them. Don't follow them. Some people actually do not have your best interest at heart, though they're talking to you. Turn it off. Some people want time and attention for, from you for all of the wrong reasons. Don't give it to them. Like seriously, I understand some might be blood to you. They might be, as my Puerto Rican mama say, sangre. They might be blood. They might be family. Walk away from that for the moment at least. Some people are actually fools. Don't be like them and don't be one of them. That's what Paul is getting at. The town of, of Thessalonica there were a lot of fools there. The gospel was going forward. People were getting saved, and there all of a sudden was all of this tension going on. When you read the story in the book of Acts of the founding of the Thessalonica church, people are scared, and part of their comment, which is actually a compliment, they're saying, these Christians, these are people who have turned the world upside down, and they're here now. That's right. That's right. Christ is here now. And so nothing's going to be the same. They remember that it's about conviction and not commitment. Compromised church is oftentimes born out of self-righteousness. I have learned more and more to pray and to release self-righteousness. When I pray to the Lord more and more, I'm saying, Lord, I, have, I am not coming to you as a self-righteous man. I'm bringing the blood of Christ. That's the only righteousness I have. And so these people, the Thessalonica church, they had affliction and persecution, and they had this. They were not fools. They received the word and the joy of the Holy Spirit, and they had this boldness. Some are fools. Don't be, don't be one of them. Chapter kind of runs for home here. Verse 8, for not only has the, not only has the word of the Lord 
sounded forth to you from Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith has gone forth everywhere so that we need not say anything. What's so fascinating about that is that Paul was with them for only three weeks initially. Now into verse nine, for they, they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turn to God. Here's what you wanna know. Turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait from the son from heaven who raised from the dead Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. They turn from idols. They turn from idols. Let's talk about idolatry. Now, I know that's a hard thing to kind of sometimes grab a hold of, but the truth is, you just think it through for a moment, you got it. So, so over here, let's just say is idolatry. And this is, a, this is a, somebody, you know, is a concert performer, they're a musician, they've got the band, right? And they're doing this. Okay, that's my era, right? Okay, so I can't even like dance around and tell you what's going on with rappers and all of that. I, I would just embarrass myself, so I, I won't do that. But they're animated, and uh, some are looking super cool, and uh, they've got these huge crowds and all of that, and they've got it going on. Others are athletes, and they're incredible professional performers physically as athletes. And uh, still others are celebrities or maybe television commentators and all of that. Here's, here's the thing. We tend to worship them. And here's what it means. I mean, we quote them all the time. We quote them back to people all the time. We give them money all the time in lots of different ways. We look up to them. And here's the thing. Let's go over here from idols and turn to a living God. Here's a problem over there. Let's just take an athlete for a moment because that's an easier way to talk about this briefly. So you generally are watching an athlete for two hours perform what they have taken more than 10 years of their life to give with an enormous support system and an enormous amount of finances and they're uniquely gifted at it and for two hours a day, they look good. Yes? Okay, now let's take your life at your best, at your very, very best. You've practiced, you've rehearsed it, you've rehearsed it, you have had a multi-million dollar support system, and now, and now we're going to let the camera roll on you for two hours that day when you're at your absolute, absolute, absolute very best. How are you going to look? Church, it's called good. Yes? See, you stumble because there's 22 more hours of the day. Right? Over here, they're looking good for two hours, two hours of the day. Now, look at me. Maybe I'm not the smartest pastor around, but I'm told there's 22 more hours in the day. And so over here, there's 22 more hours of the day. And you are surprised when those people who are superstars over there with all of that support system over here, the other 22 hours a day that they stumble and fall. And you're surprised by that. Well, I, I didn't know they were like that. Really, did you see them the other 22 day, hours a day? You know what it's called being a jerk. That's what they're like oftentimes. They can't stay married. They can't balance their money. They can't do half of the basic things of adult responsibility without a huge support system there. And they're oftentimes not nice people, but you worship them because you see them two hours a day. So these people in Thessalonica, they turned from idols to serve the living and true God. They didn't buy the lie of worshiping something that exists for two hours a day. They wanted the Lord Jesus Christ who can manage and glorify himself in their lives 24. And it was the eternal living God 
And so they turned. You know, that word to turn is interesting. So I'm going to give it to you uh, very quickly. Epistrepho is what it's called. Epi means to come upon, and, and strepho simply means to turn and turn around. The epi coming upon is the idea that, again, you turned around. It's kind of that commitment conviction thing. It's actually God who came upon you. And he grabbed you by the shoulders. And he brought you to himself and he held you and he turned you around by turning himself and grabbing you. Luke chapter 1, verse 16, John the Baptist says, and he will turn, epistrepho, many of the children of Israel to the Lord God. That's a reference to Jesus Christ. These are spiritual secrets. Turn from idols. And so church, I'm going to pray here for a moment. I'm going to ask. I'm going to ask you to turn from these idols. I'm going to ask you to not be a fool. I'm going to ask you to apply the differences here between commitment and conviction. I'm going to ask you to be soaked in the grace and love of Christ. Thank you for listening to the Rick Soto Podcast. For more information about Pastor Rick Soto and the Ranch Church, go to ranchchurch.com.